Welcome to the Filipino American Woman Project, also known as TIFA Project for short, a podcast show that features stories and life lessons told by American women of Filipino descent. We're your co-hosts, Jen Amos. And I'm Nani Dominguez. And thank you for joining us. If today's conversation resonates with you, text us and let us know at 415-484-8329. And if you want to show us some love, buy us boba at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Jen and Nani. It says coffee, but we love boba. Again, that's www.buymeacoffee.com slash Jen and Nani. Awesome. With that said, thank you all for your love and support. Now let's get into the show. All right. Hey, everyone. Jen Amos here. And before we get started with today's conversation with our amazing guest, Alessandra Rivera, I have a exciting announcement for all of you. July is the month to nominate our show, The Filipino American Woman Project for the People's Choice Podcast Awards by visiting podcastawards.com. That's podcast awards, awards as in plural with an S at the end of awards, podcastawards.com. So here's what you got to do to get our show nominated. Obviously, first and foremost, you got to visit podcastawards.com and make sure you register with your email to nominate. That is the only way to get your vote counted is by registering your email at podcastawards.com. And once you register your email, go ahead and select the Filipino American Woman Project for the two following categories. The first one would be the Adam Curry People's Choice Award. And the second category would be society and culture. So society and culture are the same, um, is one category. So once again, the first category you can nominate the Filipino American Woman Project for is the Adam Curry People's Choice Award. And the second one is society and culture. Also, if you're going to be nominating some shows anyway, because you have a lot to choose from, I would love it if you could even support my other podcast show, which is a military family focused show called Holding Down the Fort under the category government and organizations. So once again, if you want to support my other podcast show, Holding Down the Fort, please nominate that show under the category government and organizations. All right. So quick overview. Two categories to nominate the Filipino American Woman Project for the Adam Curry People's Choice Award and also Society and Culture. And if you want to support my other podcast show, please nominate Holding Down the Fort for the category Government and Organizations. Once you do that, make sure you save your notifications. And lastly, and most important, to check your inbox and verify your email. That is the only way they will count your vote. All right. With that said, thank you all so much for your support. Thank you for continuing to show Nani and I that our stories and our show matters by nominating our show. And there you have it. So once again, you can nominate now by going to podcastawards.com. I also will have the information and the instructions for you in the show notes of this episode. And you'll also get it in the instructions of the newsletter that came out this week. All right. Thank you all so much for listening and enjoy today's conversation with Alessandra Rivera.
All right, hey everyone, welcome back to the Filipino American Woman Project. I am your founder and co-host Jen Amos. And as always, I have my amazing co-host with me who manages everything writing related on our show, newsletters, show notes, et cetera, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back. Thank you for the detailed intro. <laughs> well, I think it's hey, important. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think it's good for people to know our roles. And I know that quite often I just kind of dive into these conversations and interviews. And, you know, sometimes I forget that we should probably humanize ourselves every now and then and let people know like what happens behind the scenes and, you know, how is our show possible? And it got me to really reflect on going back to when Lee from the Asian American Podcasters Association asked us about like if we had some kind of, you know, agreement of working together. And we're like, um, well, we're like family. So we kind of just have a verbal agreement more yeah. than anything. But we also like, we're just very fortunate, I think, to know that we have different strengths that happen to complement each other and be able to operate the show the way we do. So I just felt like, I know I'm like over explaining myself now, but I felt compelled to introducing you that way and reminding our listeners, you know, what you do for our show. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. And also as we start to get, you know, in addition to Lee asking us that question at the podcast festival, more people are starting to come to us for advice like that on just like regular podcast consultations in general for people that want to start their own shows. So I think it is important to disclose that kind of information and highlight that it's not just us hopping on Zoom and interviewing people. Um, There's a lot more that actually goes into producing the show. Yeah. And we have a village behind us. You know, we have an amazing editor. Shout out to Dennis. Dennis, don't edit this out. We want to credit you. (laughs) And of course, you know, we work with my virtual assistant, Patricia, who happens to have the same name as you, Nani. And I call it Patricia the VA. So Nani knows the difference. And of course, we have our interns that work with us. So we just have this incredible team of people that make this show possible. And again, I didn't think I was going to start off this show that way, but it's good for you all to know in case you're curious and you've been thinking about starting a podcast. Which, by the way, if you are, remember that we do have our academic paper out, Panay Podcasters. It's available for you to read now at PanayPodcasters.com. So once again, I always have to credit Nani for this because she did a spectacular job. She did write the majority or she did manage writing the majority of the paper. So Nani, any quick thoughts about it? Encouraging our listeners to take a read. Yeah, I think just in this climate and this day and age where we're talking about really creating our own systems and creating our own communities that are self-sustaining. That's essentially what this paper is about and kind of outlines how we are doing that through podcasting and how we're trying to encourage other Panais to also get involved so that our community can strengthen and grow and multiply and become essentially self-sustaining. You know, it's a solution basically to all of the problems that We've seen people become so passionate about in the sense of activism and identity politics over the last year through the pandemic. So this is kind of just continuing that conversation in the context of like an actionable solution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So once again, you can read that paper now at PanayPodcasters.com. We have the replay of our workshop that we did at the 2021 Bolosan Philippine X Studies Conference held by the Bolosan Center of Filipino Studies at UC Davis. So once again, you can check that out at PanayPodcasters.com. That'll also be available for you in the show notes. If you want to just go ahead and click that link and check it out. We're very proud of it. And we have so many things 
planned ahead to continue to, you know, elaborate on that paper amongst other things to continue to, like Nani had mentioned, build that self-sustaining community here at the Tifa Project. So really excited about that. Before I introduce our guest of today, I just want to remind you all that if this conversation has resonated with you and you want to engage with us, just like our guest has been doing via text message, you can shoot us a text at 415-484-8329. So once again, that's 415-484-8329. All right, Nani, you excited for our guest today? I'm so excited. Let's All right, bring her on. Yes, without further ado, we have Alessandra Rivera, who is a ukulele enthusiast and first-generation college student. While you're listening and while you're on your phone, go ahead and add her on Instagram. Her Instagram handle is Fitsu, which is spelled B-E-L-F-I-I-T-S-U. So without further ado, Alessandra, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you too. Yes. And I just have to say thank you for rescheduling your interview to speak with us sooner, because as we all know, if people have been following our show in chronological order, or at least listening to the recent episodes, we might not have Nani for a while. Nani is going to be a new mom in a couple of weeks, and I don't want to bug her in <laughs> her life. So, you know, the sooner we can get these conversations out of the way, I think the sooner Nani can just fully focus on being a mom. So I want to thank you, Alessandra, for just being flexible with us and, you know, scheduling sooner to have this conversation. Yeah, of course. It was actually perfect because I actually am going to LA next week. And then the day that, I think it was June 12th, I was going to hang out with my cousins at the lake. And Atta had to tell me, she was like, you can't do June at all. Like ask them if you could do June earlier. And I was like, no, I don't want to. I (laughs) Things are like so set in stone and it's hard for me to like assert myself or like just ask for like, things yeah and then it, I was just so glad it's like the stars aligned kind of like with Donnie's like birth might be in July <laughs> and so it worked out that there would be availabilities like before I'm like busy so yeah, yeah for sure I'm glad that you didn't feel that pressure to you know step out of your comfort zone and ask you know to reschedule like it just like you said the stars aligned and I asked you anyway and you're like oh yeah that would be perfect uh, but go ahead and tell us Alessandra a little bit about how did you hear the show and what compelled you to join us I feel like this may have been some time ago that you may have a but go ahead. And if you can recall that time of when you first discovered the show and decided I want to be a guest on the show and share my story. Yeah. So like, I really love listening to podcasts and I listen to like true crime or like sometimes about like radical politics or like food. But Mm -hmm. the main thing is like, I wanted to find a Filipino American podcast. So I just typed in like Filipino American (laughs) like the Apple podcast and the first thing that I saw was the logo and it was so like inviting and comforting and the first episode I listened to was about like anti-blackness in the community and I was like this is so good and then I just and then I subscribed and like yeah that's just how I found it. Wow, that's really awesome. And I'm so glad that you found our logo inviting because we recently rebranded after episode 100. So I'm curious if it's it was the the last logo that you noticed or if it's the current one. Was it the current one or the last? It's the last logo. Oh, well, I'm glad. Okay, so I made that one and... <laughs> And and I kind of just like threw it together, but I'm so glad that you thought it was inviting. That was really my goal with it. My goal is to have it like stand out. And even to this day, the yellow of the logo comes from the yellow of the Filipino flag. So, or the Philippines flag. So um, I'm just so glad that you saw it and you came across it and you subscribed to it. We definitely worked really hard on that logo redesign and went through a lot to get it to where (laughs) it is today, but 
Yeah. I think that the first one that you created, you know, kind of on the fly was every bit as impactful, even though the one we have now is, you know, it's beautiful and it's thoughtful and it's um, professionally done. That one, the one that we had before, the one that you made seems to have really attracted a lot of our current audience. So it's also cool to know that that, you know, breaking the standard in, in talking about breaking the standards of professionalism and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that was never really a barrier. It sounds like for us, even if we wanted to prioritize upgrading it. Yeah. That, that makes me really happy. We even had a past guest and continuous listeners say like, I actually like the logo the way it is. Like, don't change it. You know, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, but I want to change it though. Like, it just feels like it's the right time, but no, you're right. It's time to evolve it. Yeah. And, and you're right. It's like, when I think about how I threw it together, I mean, I just kind of went with my gut reaction. It goes back to one of the earlier episodes that I recorded about, like, you don't have to get all your ducks in a row to get started. I think it was one of, I think episode two or three from the very beginning. And that's still very much my attitude today. It's like, let's just get started and we'll perfect it as we go. And because I had like, I think for me, my, I kept with the design because I thought to myself like, well, unless someone has anything to say about it, I'm just going to keep using it. So fortunately everyone seemed to like it and it actually resonated with them. So, you know, Alessandra, thank you for saying that because it is good to know that even in my imperfectness and impulse decision to, you know, to go with that at the time, um, I'm just so happy to hear that it's still, it really resonated with you. Yeah, of course. And also, I just wanted to say like the color choices, like the yellow and the green in my graphic design class, I made a like menu and it was about like Silog and I used like yellow and green. Like the, it was like almost the exact like colors. Oh, and you know, thing. I don't know. But like, that's what it really reminded me of. And then your point about like how you don't have to like line up all your ducks in a row to like get things started. I think I heard you talking in like an episode about how you just take things one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And then ever since I heard you say that, like, like applying that to my life, because I mm. stress so much about my future. And like, it's because I'm so young and all that, but, like hearing and reminding myself that I don't have to like be ready all the time, like makes me feel better. Yeah. Oh, that makes me really happy to hear. And, you know, I get it. College, it's like literally every day they're telling you to think about your future. You're like, everything you're doing today is going to be, you know, everything you do today is going to be dependent on what tomorrow is going to look like. Right. There's just all this pressure of like, do the internships, take all the classes, get the good grades. It's like all just lots and lots and lots and lots of pressure. And I absolutely, you know, understand that. And so it's interesting because, you know, I graduated college over a decade ago now, like last month, May was like my 10 year anniversary since I graduated from San Diego State University. And like, it's interesting to like, know that that was my life. Like looking back, I was like, wow, like that was a really anxious time, Yeah, (laughs) you know, to feel like I had to get it all together. And, you know, that's just, I think that's just the nature of the beast when it comes to college. I mean, that's why you go to college. You wouldn't go to college if you didn't want to, let's say, Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you didn't want to like catapult into your professional life. You didn't want to have that extra boost, right? That's extra advantage to, you know, having your resume looking good. And so, but you know, the fact that it's called a four-year university, it's like, oh, you got to get it done in four years. I graduated in five years after I changed my major three times. And even till the end, I was like, do I really want to pursue this? So I'm glad that you took that to heart, you know, to feel like, yes, although you are thinking about your future, part of that future is today. It's like, okay, what do you want your future to look like today? Because 
what you do now will dictate what tomorrow will look like. And I think it's just about being present with yourself and focusing on what you can control today because college isn't forever. It's eventually going to come to an end, but to even just take a moment to appreciate it. Cause my take on college is that it's sort of like the last place you can mess up before you actually enter the adult life. So it's like, okay to make mistakes. (laughs) You know, that's my, that's my take on it. But anyway, I'm glad to hear that. And I'm glad that you thought that episode or that conversation was helpful to you. It makes me sad that you're in this constant state of like anxiety, it sounds like. And that's just the natural, I guess, result of being in college or higher academia. And as someone who, you know, chose not to participate in that world when I was back in the day, (laughs) that is pretty much the exact reason why, because I don't operate well under that kind of pressure. And I don't think that it's really conducive. I mean, some people do thrive under it, you know, people who are very competitive, people who really like are motivated by that type of pressure again. But for most of us, I think it's more harmful than it is helpful. And it really just speaks to, in my opinion, the need to like tear down the structure and rebuild it to be able to meet people where they're at and nurture people's inherent nature, not try and push them into being this one way of like what productivity or productive looks like in terms of academics or surviving in the corporate world or whatever it is that they're trying to prepare you for, you know, by putting this type of pressure on you. So I do just hope, you know, in hearing that, that you are able to find some time to like, you know, break away from that mentally and get into a different space to where you can just be present and enjoy your life sometimes, you know, because that's not all there is to life. And like Jen was saying, what you do today dictates what you'll be doing tomorrow or what you're able to do tomorrow. But that doesn't always necessarily, you know, mean in the context of like achieving good grades or getting into a good school or, you know, graduating with a certain degree in a certain amount of time, et cetera. There are other ways for you to move about going after your success. So I just hope that would be the one piece of advice that I would impart on you today (laughs) in hearing about your school anxiety that you're feeling right now. Thank you guys for that. That felt like a hug. Like you're (laughs) worth Well, that's yes. what we do on the show. We give virtual hugs. <laughs> that was our verbal virtual hug. <laughs> yeah, I do think it's important to take a minute to talk to people who are still in college and reassure you that you're doing A-OK. And for me, I remember like when I was in college, or I think it was like early on in my college career, I actually went back to my high school. And so you can tell that I was like made to be a podcaster. So I went back to some of my favorite teachers And I was asking them like, Hey, tell me about your college experience. Like, how did you get the degree you got? And like any advice for me, like when I enter college or as I go through college and, you know, a lot of them gave me this advice of like, or one of my favorite teachers said to like, you know, focus on what, like what you want to learn, like what, what do you really want to take out of college? Like, yes, the future is important, but really study something that you're actually interested in. And not just because like, you know, you feel like it's going to get you like a specific job. And so I really took that advice to heart. And so that's actually how I got into journalism and public relations, because to me at the time, I wanted to learn the skill set to talk about things in a positive mindset and a positive frame. And public relations is a lot like that. I mean, not all of it, like there's definitely like public relations for crises situations and stuff, but like, I wanted to learn the verbiage and the skill set to kind of reframe things in a positive light. 
And even though I never actually used that after college in the traditional sense of public relations, I applied it to every other aspect of my life anyway, you know, just being able to use those skills and know how to reframe things in a better light. I know I like totally said that like three times, but that's like the best way I can like describe it. So anyway, so glad to be able to support you in that way and reassure you and let you know that you're going to be okay. And Nani and I made it this far in life. We're still alive. We're still kicking. So I think you will too. (laughs) Yeah. Well, anyway, other than that, let's go ahead and transition. I know we talked really extensively about like your future and college, but that's where you're at right now. So uh, obviously I think it, it was important to take a minute to uh, focus on that. But, you know, as you know, the show is called the Filipino American Woman Project. And, you know, one of the first questions we always like to ask is a little bit about your family background and your Filipino ancestry. You know, like where does that come from and what does it mean for you to be a Filipino American woman? So if you would like to share a little bit about your family background and, you know, what does it mean for you to be a Filipino American woman? I always love like talking about being Filipino and explaining like on my lineage. But so my mom's side, they're very like mestizo, like mestiza, because mm-hmm. my grandma is actually a quarter Irish and my great great grandfather was a Spaniard, a colonizer, anyways. And then colonizer. <laughs> colonizer. And then, and then my dad's side, I don't actually have like a lot of information about like his side of the family, but they're from Pampanga. So like half Kapampangan and then like half Tagalog because my mom's side is like from Manila. And I was born here in the U.S. and I was raised like completely here. But I grew up in like Union City, like Fremont, like that area, you know, like Little Manila. There's like like three of those in California. But yeah, I grew up there and there is like so many Filipinos, like Seafood City, like Island Pacific, like Union Landing, like all that stuff. And Mm -hmm. the only time I ever felt knew what it was like to be a minority was when I moved to Livermore, Mm -hmm. which is like, you know, it's in the valley. It's like a A whole different world. (laughs) Yeah. And it was like, it was kind of like weird to me, but I've, I've always been raised to be like proud of being Filipino because of like Ipulaga and like Filipino food. And I really like love like the honorifics like my brother calls me Ate. I was raised to like call my cousins like Ate or Kuya. Mm-hmm. And it feels like, I know like sometimes with respect in Filipino culture, it seems like blind, mm-hmm. but in the sense of like the honorifics with Ate and Kuya, I love like that sense of respect that my brother gives me whenever he calls me Ate. And whenever I call my cousins that, because I really do like, I respect them and I love them. And so there's, yeah, that's basically it. I would just like, there's, a lot of my like life has been like immersed in like Filipino culture mm-hmm. and it's only in the last four years have I really started to recognize that I'm not just Filipino I'm Filipino American yeah. and like that's the journey I've been on like since then but, yeah yeah yeah, I think that's interesting to know. I remember in college, I used to say like, oh, I'm Filipino. But just like you, I was like, oh, there's a difference between Filipino and Filipino American. And I am definitely the latter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I don't speak the dialects that my parents spoke. I was raised as a military child moving around in the American bases, you know, so just knowing more of the military culture and the American culture than my own, you know, Filipino culture from my parents. So I, I completely understand that. And I remember just starting to make that distinction. And actually, 
feeling better about myself, you know, knowing that like, oh, because I'm not like, you know, obviously I think we all go through that journey of like, oh, I'm not like my parents, therefore I'm not Filipino enough, or I'm not like my family back home. I think really for me, it's like when I found out the the difference, I felt better about myself, you know? And do you feel like you kind of feel the same way too? Like knowing like, oh, I'm Filipino American. Yeah. It's like, I gained like a newfound like strength and pride in like who I am because like I said yeah. like I felt very nervous and I'm always I'm very shy like I grew up very shy mm-hmm. and like saying who I am has never been easy mm-hmm. and like not like and having other people believe it wasn't a problem it was believing it myself mm. and yeah it's just like empowering actually and like learning when I took I took my first ethnic studies class in like uh no actually from like second semester of college which was this year mm-hmm. and I was so like happy to learn about like people like Larry Itliong like Philip Veracruz like yeah. this, they literally started the United Farm Workers and I never knew this and I was like crying watching like a documentary about the Manongs and like these are my ancestors like they were Filipino American just like me and there is a legacy that like, should be followed and that people should talk about and so it just, it feels so like to finally like recognize it and like claim it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You were just kind of making me think about a conversation that I had with someone else earlier today about how American culture is just so, wants to push you into this like individualistic mindset. And it feels like, you know, you're going through this rat race that is life alone. And that's where self-doubt really comes in and like, you know, does its thing and stops you from doing a lot of things or makes you feel bad or whatever impact self-doubt has on you. And really the importance of community learning and being able, a lot of people don't have the access to, you know, ethnic studies in the, in the sense of like higher academia. And so even just sharing those stories or talking about who Larry Itliong and the Monongs were here on a show like this, that's available you know, widely for free to anybody who, who wants to access it is just so important. Um, and it really makes you realize that even though you feel like you're going through this alone and you feel like, you know, I'm not Filipino enough because I don't know these things. It's like, there's, you're surrounded by a whole other community of people who actually feel the exact same way. And so, yeah, again, I think just highlighting the importance of that community and that storytelling, sharing information like that and stepping outside of the academic space to do that, especially. Yeah, like whenever I can, I remember I would always be like to my mom, like, Mama, did you know? And then I would like tell her like all of these things that I had learned. And she'd be like, oh, really? Like, I never knew that. (laughs) And I basically try to tell like everyone I know whenever like I learn something new about like being Filipino or Filipino American. And I never like I don't try to I never hide it because like I'm always like so proud. And like learning, learning more is like such a. It like it just I just feel like stronger like every time I learn something new. Absolutely. I think that that's also at the heart of like our relationship building too is like so many of us have been starved for this information. We have been erased from the history books essentially and so to learn these things in whatever context that we do gives us kind of a common ground. I know that with me and my dad it's kind of the same like everything that I've learned through community activism or this podcast or the other projects that I've worked on in the community where I've taken the opportunity to learn about our history and our people and really dig to find those resources has created this like 
point of conversation for us, I guess. And a way for him to also learn from me instead of me just looking to him and expecting him to know these things. And then, you know, finding out now through my own research, why he doesn't know. So yeah, I think that's at the heart of our relationship building with each other too. And the more that we can show that sense of pride that you feel every time you learn something new about Filipino Americans, it's like, I can spread that, you know, I can embody that and I can spread that to others. Yeah. So Nani, you mentioned something that stood out to me and I think is really important to know about, like for us to understand is our advantage as a community. And, you know, like you mentioned, like how kind of society teaches us to like practice our individuality and our independence in a sense. And a part of that, at least in our community, I think can breed self-doubt from that because the reality is, and this is what I come to find with every conversation we have on the show that I can't do life alone. (laughs) I need help. You know, like I need people that I can depend on. I need that. And, you know, I think even, even in college, it's all about being the best version of yourself. It's all about like, okay, can I get a better looking resume or better grades than someone else? And I think that really causes a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress and a lot of self-doubt because you're being pitted against someone else. And then of course, there's the whole job market in itself, you know, trying to compete for those positions. And so to be able to have conversations such as this and to know that like, Yes, of course, maybe that is that's the way America functions, like so be it. But as a community, we can still collectively come together and help each other out, you know, hence it's why it's so common for people such as Nani and her big family, you know, to, you know, part of the reason why Nani stays in California. She doesn't need to go anywhere else. She has her whole family there. (laughs) You know, where it's like for me, for example, like kind of being out here in the East Coast in the last two years, I have to try to establish family through my professional connections or, you know, I have to intentionally you know, try to build it either way. And, and it's part of even my own struggle of thinking like, man, if I was just back in California, my life would probably be a lot easier because my family is there and my friends are there. But to just be reminded that that is our advantage is family is connection is community. And to not forget that even in spaces that make us that kind of force us to practice that independence and practice being better than other people, just knowing that where we actually come from is Like we have that in our back pocket, right? To always fall back on like, let's say family and friends and what have you. So I just appreciate you mentioning that, Nani, because that's sort of what got me thinking about our advantage, you know, as a- Yeah, and also what's so special about growing up in a place like Union City or Vallejo, you know, we were interviewing my dad recently and we were talking about how when you see like the shopping malls with Jollibee and Seafood City and Chow King, that's like the staple of how you know- your home essentially, or you're in a community where, where you fit in, where you're accepted, where you're going to find aspects of your cultural identity and how that's really rare. You know, even here in the Bay area where there are a lot of Filipinos, there's still a stark difference between spending time in union city versus spending time in Livermore. So I think that that also highlights the differences in like Filipino identities versus Filipino American, like you were talking about and what that really means to incorporate the last part of the hyphenated American in with those Filipino roots that you feel so strongly connected to just by nature. Yeah, I just wanted to like comment on like the difference between like being Filipino in a place like Union City versus Livermore. Mm -hmm. And I remember after I moved to Livermore, I was like probably eight or nine years old. And like, I was like further away from like Filipinos now. And 
I, I don't, I don't think I did it like on purpose, probably just because like there were just a lot less like Filipino people now. And mm-hmm. I like recognized how like different I looked and like, there would be like microaggressions and things like that. And I would say like, and then I had cousins that live in Union City and I'd be like, oh, I don't think I fit in here anymore because of like having, um, like half of my life, I grew up in Livermore now. And in the last four years, as I was saying, I've like tried to make sense of my identity. And like now I try to like erase, there's no distinction. Like it's not my fault or anything. And that a Filipino in like Union City is like the same as like a Filipino person in like Livermore. We might have like a little like different like cultural experiences, but like at our core, we're like Filipino American and like we share like maybe not being able to like speak the language or like our favorite Filipino foods are like lumpia and things like that. And I was just remembering all the things that actually like unite us more than like making me feel like disconnected. And so, yeah, that's what I've had to like come to realize in like the last four years is like I have to stop like separating myself from everyone. I feel so connected to you guys every time I listen to your show and like every time I listen to a different guest. And so, yeah. And like family, I feel like I have a forever family just by being Filipino. And so yeah. I love that you brought that point up and really focusing on what unites us versus ostracizing each other for either not knowing the language or not knowing, you know, a food or not liking the food, not participating in the culture, you know, based on your proximity to it, I think is so, so important because that's the conversation of today. You know, we're just so polarized in general, Mm -hmm. let alone talking about the Filipino American community, which is plagued with the crab mentality. And, you know, that's constantly what we're doing, not only to each other, but to ourselves, which is why we're all here in the first place talking about why and how we don't feel Filipino enough you know, for whatever reason. And we all interpret that in our own ways in the forms of our own insecurities, which I also think is an interesting thing to study, but it's also just so important for us to break out of and break away from. And like you said, really focus on like those core values. It's not necessarily our traditional education on being Filipino, like Jen and I were talking about in our interview with my dad, you don't need to have a PhD in being Filipino, you know, we all have the same cultural values and like core sense of identity, which in Filipino psychology is referred to as kapwa, our shared identity. And that is such a huge and central term for a reason. So yeah, I think that it's, that's a great point to mention to really focus our attention on that instead of the pointing fingers at one another. And I also just want to comment and say, how admirable it is that you're so like self-aware and so kind of like just in tune with yourself and how you fit in, how you belong in terms of your community, wherever you go, whether you be in Union City or in Livermore from such a young age. For me, you know, it's taken until recently in my later 20s for me to really dig in and try and understand this stuff. So I just really appreciate you being so self-aware and sharing that knowledge with us today from such a early point on in your life. 
Thank you. I mean, I think like sometimes my self-awareness can be like my downfall mentally, but in general, I appreciate it. (laughs) For sure. You're like, I know too much. I'm going crazy. Um, (laughs) I don't know if anyone's like seen Bo Burnham's Netflix special, but if you ever just like look him up on YouTube, he has like this, (laughs) he has this like awesome, like just a, a snippet of the special where he has like a parody. He has like a, just a funny song about the internet and like how it just, it's like, it's amazing in so many ways, but it's also like destructive because it's like, you know, so much that it almost like drives you crazy. And I feel like self-awareness can be the same thing. It's like, man, I know way too much about myself. Like I just, I need a break, (laughs) you know, from myself for like a minute, you know? So there's something I wanted to add. I really like how you said that rather than focusing on our differences, you focus on our similarities, you know, and you focus on what you have in common. And I just feel like that's so important today. You know, I, it's interesting, like being here in the East Coast and experiencing like East Coast Filipinos, you know, versus what I'm familiar with in San Diego. And, and then there's even a difference between like, let's say San Diego Filipinos and LA Filipinos. And then there's Filipinos in Florida, Filipinos in Montana, you know, shout out to the World Sisters, you know, like there's just like so many different Filipino experiences all over. However, you know, how is it that we gravitate toward each other? It's because of that common thread, right. Of like that Filipino-ness like that. It's like what you said, it's, it's like a club that you'll always be a part of because you know that that other person is Filipino. So it's like, love it or hate it. Like you're always going to be gravitating toward Filipinos. So you might as well, (laughs) you know, focus on what brings us together rather than what divides us. And, you know, I think part of where a lot of our mental health issues come nowadays is just that general division that like judging people, like how polarizing, for example, like mainstream media and social media can be. And it's like, that's just not helpful. Like that's not helpful for anyone to just point out why someone else is so different or so wrong or whatever. I really do feel like we're at a time where it's like, could we just, you know, drop all that and just come, (laughs) come together. I'm not trying to be like kumbaya or anything here, but like, it's just so much better for our mental health to focus on what we have in common as opposed to what we have different. And it actually reminds me of our conversation, Nani, with your aunties and how they share their story of being a blended family. And it's like, Hey, it's, it's for the kids. Like we can totally, you know, have this baby mama drama, but you know, at the end of the day, the kids are going to be, you know, the The kids are most impacted by this experience. And so let's just focus on what brings us together. It's the kids. It's, let's create that environment for them. And, you know, in this context, it's like, let's bond because what else are we going to do? And why else would we want to do it differently? Why do we want to create division? It's just yeah. not good for anyone. So, I mean, at a time like right now, we're like, it's so easy to be isolated. And, and now we're in this weird time where, you know, people are like, okay, should I be near you? Cause you're vaccinated or you're not vaccinated. It's like, there's plenty of things already dividing us, you know? So let's just try to be, I guess the change like try to be that change to actually bring us together. So I, I just really wanted to highlight that point because I, I think it's so important and, you know, something that even I'm constantly hungry for. So just, you know, thank you for saying that. Yeah. And also I just want to add on to your earlier point, piggybacking off of what Jen said and what you said about honorifics in the Filipino culture and the whole Atekuya thing. You know, I think that that is one of the like, most forefront leading factors in Filipino culture and how we address each other is even just like setting those expectations of, oh, your family or, you know, oh, I expect you to take care of me like family, whether you're talking to a relative, uh, like your actual brother or sister or a taxi driver that you get into a cab with in the Philippines, you know? And so I think that that 
is a huge indicating factor of Filipino culture that makes us so special, you know, in the sense of focusing on what unites us instead of, you know, the differences that you can, you guys can name yourselves of American culture. It's just not like that. We call each other by name if we're being nice and, you know, (laughs) by other much less personable nicknames or honorifics if we're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I call you guys out there? Would you of course. course. Yes. I'll call you guys out there. Okay. <laughs> okay. I have another outing. No, it's just funny. Nani calls me out there and I'm like, I never like demanded her to do it. So it's like, it's just, <laughs> I remember like years ago, I was good friends with this lady who ran a, oh gosh, I can't remember all the details, but anyway, she was running a local newspaper. And I think I remember like telling her how annoyed I was when people would use one of those honorifics for me. And I was like, I was like, why do they, like, they don't have to call me that. They just call me Jen, you know? And, And I remember she said, like, she said something like, that's like an endearment. Like that's them showing an affection towards you. Like they want you to be part of their family. Like it's already implied in their minds that you're part of their family, part of their community. And I really, that's resonated with me throughout the years. Like, so I've never like stopped anyone anymore from calling me things because like, that's actually a compliment, you know, to like, oh, like you respect me in that way. Or you like me in that way that you're willing to give me that kind of title. So, you know, that was a pretty profound experience for me that that came to mind. And since in our conversation just really quickly I know because you know how in the Philippines like we have like the kapwa right but I noticed we also divide ourselves based on like our region like Mm -hmm. my mom's always like yeah your dad's kapambangan and I'm Tagalog and like there's these people from the Ilocos region and it's kind of like how we were saying that there's Montana Filipinos and like San Diego Filipinos it was like we just mirror each other (laughs) like as much as we're like we always say, yeah, Filipinos are so different from like Filipinos in America, but there's also ways where we like, we're just, we mirror each other like that. And I just, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. It's like, we're not so different. The fact that we think we're different means that we're the same because like you said, we're whole, we're mirroring the whole regional experience. That's an yeah. interesting thing. I don't think I've heard anyone describe it that way before. Yeah. yeah it's like right now. Yeah, for sure. I think it's also just human nature. Like people just do that to each other and, you know, they want to, I think it's all trying to make a, make sense out of your belonging, you know, and putting that in the context of like your physical proximity where you're at and the culture that you know in that place. And even if there are things that connect you, you know, by bloodline or heritage Mm -hmm. in those same ways across the country or across the world or across the art archipelago. <laughs> Thank archipelago. you. <laughs> yeah, we're always just going to do that to each other, you know. And that's also another thing that actually unites us when we think that we're ostracizing each other. It's like, oh, you're no better than I am, you yeah. know. Crime mentality, <laughs> been there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> you're not trying to be different. You're just like everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. I love that. Well, cool. Well, before we move ahead, Alessandra, there's something in your notes that I thought was interesting bringing up. And you mentioned that you frequently find yourself frustrated with the majority of your families. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. Is it immovable? <laughs> like, yeah, immovable. So right. you, know, you frequently find yourself frustrated with the majority of your family's immovable colonial mentality. Uh, do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, I'd love to because I can't <laughs> tell them in their faces. So um, basically, um, it's just like, well, like I said in the beginning, the very first episode I listened to was about anti-Blackness. Mm-hmm. And that's basically like a facet of colonial me- mentality. 
like creating that hierarchy based on like colorism and stuff like that. And I remember like, I think a lot of us have heard, don't go outside. You're going to get too dark. Or Cause I remember my aunt's always saying like swim later because the sun <laughs> will come down. And, and then I remember I was watching like a basketball game with my uncle and Draymond Green came up on the screen and he's like a particularly like dark skinned man. Mm-hmm. And my uncle, like in like fascination slash like disgust, he was like, he's so dark. And I just looked yeah. at him and I was like, and so like what <laughs> yeah. else like what else and he yeah. was like he's so dark and I was like okay and I was like 13 years old I couldn't wow. argue with him either no, I can just come in and say like I can imagine how frustrating that is you know especially as a younger teenager not having the language to like combat or question that micro or passive aggressive comment you know, that's a microaggression. And it's like, they don't even know that it's harmful. And it's like, I know it's harmful and I'm 13, but I don't know how to explain to you why it's harmful or, you know, why you shouldn't talk like that or make comments like that, or even think like that, you know? And Mm -hmm. so growing up in a family that's like that, which I think we can all relate to. I think that no matter how progressive your family may be, we all have members that, have said things like that or, you know, upheld values like that, that are part of that colonial mentality. And it's really taking these candid conversations for us to learn how to articulate ourselves to respond. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I remember my next point. Yes. Because I remember I was diving into like pre-colonial Filipino society and what was imposed upon our ancestors like after colonization. And I was thinking like the gender binary and Mm -hmm. like Catholicism and like how that has influenced what it's like to be like a queer person in like a Filipino family. It's like you said, there's microaggressions that I hear like all the time. And I remember like I internalized their biases. Like growing up, I actually thought like it's a bad thing to be dark. You shouldn't be gay. And like flamboyance as like a man is wrong. And that has just been like, it was conditioned and like performed in front of me since I was really little. And like, how yeah. can I not internalize these things? Right. Um, and then like growing up, I just, I think I was like 14. I was praying the rosary with my family and we were reading something that said like, we pray that abortion is, what's it called? Sorry, this is like kind of political, but like we pray that like abortion gets banned or like outlawed. <laughs> And I was like, I was like, no, what the heck this? No, I don't want to pray about this. Like, <laughs> yeah. And like, I had to read it because it was in the, it was in like the reciting. The script. Yeah. yeah. The script. Yeah. And I didn't believe it myself. And I remember quietly thinking like, what's wrong? Like, why do we think like this? And so I've just had to go on this journey where I like rewire and like, I really interrogate these thought processes and biases that I have about other people or in like even like that I internalize like about Filipinos like I remember thinking that I couldn't be assertive because I wasn't white I thought that as a child and I think that's why I've had to like uh, now I'm outgrowing my shyness and I'm really trying like even right now like my heart was racing before I connected (laughs) to the Zoom (laughs) Yeah, but I feel I feel good now. I feel good now. But like there's still yeah. like those moments that remind me I have a long way to go. Yeah. Um, 
And you do a great job articulating yourself in the meantime, you know, like it's obvious that we're all still in the middle of that process of learning the language and learning how to have these conversations. And even one of the other Panay podcasters stories with Sapphire was asking us that question in the Asian podcast festival of how to have those hard conversations with your family who just don't get it, or, you know, that they'll never come around. And I don't think it's necessarily about you know, trying to change those hard truths that they hold on to so bad, because that's literally, you know, what you just described is literally generational trauma and that shit is real, you know, it's hard to break. And all we can do is break it for ourselves and then try and inspire others to at least be a little bit more open-minded than what they have been leading up until this point. But I think it's also important to recognize our autonomy in being able to do that. And also respecting that they're allowed to make their own choices and they're allowed to consciously decide to continue to uphold those things, you know? So yeah, it's it's a tough space to navigate. And I just, again, appreciate your ability to like articulate yourself so well, being in the middle of that process of trying to figure that out. And at the same time, you know, coming to all of these realizations that's making you so frustrated and it makes it just difficult to go through, but know that at the very least, you're not alone. (laughs) You're not alone at all. We can all relate and we are all still trying to find the language too. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And thank you for calling me articulate. That makes me feel, it makes me feel better about speaking. Yes. (laughs) No, you're doing great. Thank you so much. But I listened to that episode where you guys were presenting your paper mm-hmm. and your point, I was, I really listened to the part where you guys were answering the question about how to have these tough conversations and like that it is like generational trauma. And I was, I actually, I talked to my mama, my mom and I was like, mama, you were traumatized. And like, I told, that's, that sounds so, that, I didn't just come out, right? Mom, you've been traumatized. Was she like, no, I'm not. <laughs> she was like, she was like, I think I was or something. Aww. Or no, because actually a few years ago, she probably wouldn't have admitted that, but I've been working at it, you know? Yeah. And, so, and I found the language, like I found the verbiage through you guys. And I didn't say it exactly like that. That was kind of a little bit like rough. <laughs> But we're summarizing it for us. Yeah. Yeah. We were because we were just talking about like how a lot of times when I disagree with my mom and we have like our really big like fights that end up in stonewalling, it's always about generational differences and like trauma that she endured as a child that she like applies to like me and my brother. And I never like understood why I was like, you're just like that. But she really wasn't just like that. Like things happened. And a part of like what you said is like, we need to accept that we all have a choice and like she has a choice and like all of my older family members have a choice to uphold that. And that I think the most powerful thing is that it can end with me. The cycle can end with me and that it can change like with my generation. And I feel like so empowered, like talking to like you guys, because you guys are older than me. And I think. Thanks. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Go on, go on. So forever young though. Okay, but what I'm going to say is that like one part of Filipino culture though is like respecting like authority or people that are older than you. And I always just accept that you guys have like so much wisdom that I'm like just getting and I'm like soaking it in and trying to like apply it like everywhere I go. And so, yeah. 
But I guess yeah. in mentality, I was just thinking of like, yeah, the gender binary, like anti-blackness, like colorism and like those things that they just accept as the default yeah, and that yeah. I'm like now challenging. So, yeah. Yeah. It's our, yeah. it's our duty. Just like what you said, it's our time. You know, you said the book stops here, like, like you're doing it, like you're the one that's going to, you know, work through that. You're the one that's going to heal the generations after you, you know, you're going to honor your ancestors and your mom and your grandma and your family before you. And, you know, for the sake of the generations after you. And I think that is beautiful. And I think that is really the work that we're doing here on the show and to continue to have conversations like this, it's an affirmation that we're on the right track and that this work needs to be done. And so I'm glad that in addition to listening to the show and contributing to it now, you know, that you are becoming more emboldened to continue to speak up and speak your truth and, and create that space and challenge your family. You know, I think like that's a very bold thing to do. Some people, you know, many of us just kind of sweep it under the rug and we don't address it and you have to deal with it in our own way. And, you know, fortunately find podcast shows like this <laughs> to give you a safe space to explore it. But, you know, I just want to let you know how much I applaud you for that. And just like what Nani said, you're very articulate with this season in your life. It's probably because you're in college, but <laughs> anyway, <it's, laughs> I want to applaud you for that. And, you know, having this conversation with us, everything that you said, Alessandra, I think is very powerful. And I'm just glad that you're part of the next wave, I think of Filipino American women to sort of reclaim our history and write a new one. Everything that you were just talking about reminded me of this meme that I always quote, which is funny. I still think it's funny that I quote memes, but it's good, you know, and it's something about you can either pass down trauma through generations or healing. And that's not what it says, but it says something along those lines. I can't remember exactly what the wording is. And, you know, that's what so many of our elders and our ancestors have done for so many generations is pass down this trauma to us in terms of colorism, in terms of gender identity and other cultural expectations that we've just lived by for so long without questioning. And so I think that that's the really beautiful thing about our generation is our boldness to question those things and to dig into them to see where they come from. Do they make sense? Is that something that we want to continue to practice and pass down? And what we're finding is our answers are hell no, you know? <laughs> and so it really takes people who are willing to have these conversations again to unpack them in order for others to realize, because again, culturally, we've just been taught and trained to not question these things, to just right. do them. So yeah, again, thank you for sharing that and for outlining that and being able to recognize it at such an early on stage in your life to where, you know, unfortunately it's creating some tension, it sounds like between you and your family, but you are, you know, even if you're stumbling through, you are finding the language to have those conversations and find a way to make the information that you're learning digestible to them. Thank you. Thank you both. Always. We try, we try, but it also got me to think about like a good way to affirm to yourself that even though you're rocking the boat with the family and it could feel really uneasy and it almost feels like you're facing death to rock the boat, you know, cause it's like, we're such a tribal community, right. And to do anything like that, to challenge the family dynamic almost feels like you're trying to ostracize yourself. And what I've come to learn, the new verbiage I've been able to articulate is that what you're actually doing is you're expanding the family narrative. The fact that you're going to, you know, school and coming back with this knowledge to your family, like 
you're doing this in honor of your family. Like, because they made all those sacrifices, because they got to this point in their life, like this is now your place and time to continue to move the family forward, right? And so to be able to even challenge them is a way of showing how much you love them and how you're grateful to them for having brought you this far, you know, in life. And so it's a privilege to be in this space where we can voice our opinions and we're not afraid of our own survival if we speak up because, you know, we very much, if there's anything that we've learned on the show is that it was quite unsafe. And even nowadays it's still quite unsafe to speak up in the Philippines. And so what we're doing here is quite a radical act for our community to speak up and call things out for what it is in our own voices. Because yeah. another thing that we learned, one thing that we were teaching at the Bulosan Philippine X Studies Conference on our academic paper, PanayaPodcasters.com, is that when we did appear in media in America, we were put in the gossip columns, you know? So they almost filtered our voice in a sense to make it sound like what we're saying are like us challenging society was considered gossip, chismis, it was bad. You you know, and so now we're in this in this space now, this very unique time to have a platform such as this to like speak our truth our way. It's we're doing some revolutionary work right now. And I'm grateful, <laughs> you know, like I'm just so grateful to be doing this with Nani and with you now, Alessandra, and just want to continue to applaud you and to keep fighting the good fight and doing that inner work, that really hard inner work to, you know, heal those traumas for yourself, for your family and for generations to come. So kudos to you. <laughs> yes. And I just, something I was thinking about as you were talking about challenging family and going back to when we presented at the Bulosan Center Conference, our academic research paper that we have been talking about essentially this whole time <laughs> and kind of the actionable steps that you can take to address this or to start to rewrite our cultural narrative. And part of that is the intimate activism that comes with challenging your family or challenging yeah. even your social circles. And I think that that is where activism is the most needed. You know, it's not necessarily like Instagram or marching out in the streets, yeah. you know, at the rallies and stuff. It's more so in those intimate circles where people are actually listening to you. You know, it's not just a pretty meme that looks good on your feed. It's impactful conversation. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's where we need to maybe transform or redefine our definition of activism in general. And you are really exemplifying that with what you're sharing, you know, in terms of your family conversations. Thank you. I like how you said intimate activism. Like I've never had heard those words like put together. I love it that's too. Like, yeah, it's I was amazing. like, well done, Nani. That was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I just came up with that about two seconds ago. <laughs> it was great. Anyway, Alessandra, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to, and okay, Jen, like what you said about how, um, what was it? how me challenging my family, it's often seen as a disrespect, like an act of disrespect. And I like how you said, like, I'm actually respecting them and like honoring them for like what they have done for me. And like their past informs my future. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, I just wanted to say that. I like how you, I like how you said that. Yeah. Just love all around <laughs> compliments all around. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I just had to piggyback off of Nani's piggyback and talking about the whole, in, how did you describe the intimate activism? I know that you came up with that like 30 seconds ago now, but I love that. I, I absolutely love that phrase because you're right. Like one thing for me, if anyone's been following me on social media nowadays, like I'm like barely on there now, very intentionally, because I have just come to find that 
you can't really foster open dialogue on social media. You can create a lot of polarized messages. You can create a lot of division. You can, you know, obviously speak your truth, but like, how do people engage when you speak your truth? Like, obviously when people respond, sometimes you're like, oh, what a troll block them. You know, it's like, it's good to speak your truth, but it's good to speak your truth in, in community and dialogue because, yeah. in because safe not, spaces. Yeah. Cause you're also just not, you're not like on your own Island. Like part of your, like your truth has to coexist with other people. And I just feel like on social media, people feel very emboldened to speaking their truth, but like not allowing other opinions to come in in a very productive manner. And so I have just come to find that, you know, podcasting is really one of the few places online where you could actually have open dialogue and actually agree or, or agree to disagree, you know, with people. So, you know, that's another thing to keep in mind is, you know, some part of that intimate activism could even be as something such as this and talking about it amongst each other, amongst sisters in a sense, but to do that among family too is, is incredible. And sometimes that's really where it starts, right? Like is with the family. Cause you can go out and do the marches all day, but you come back home, your family's still the same, <laughs> you know, like they didn't do the march with you. You know, they're just like, why'd you go there? Like, aren't you afraid someone's going to like, you know, steal your wallet? <laughs> you know, just, just the general fears that like, even my mom, she's like, always keep your bag in front of your chest when you're in a crowd. Cause then someone can pickpocket you. <laughs> I was like, okay, mom, I avoid crowds anyway, but thank you. Even at like Disneyland, for example, she was like, oh, just, you know, keep it in front of you at all times. Yeah. Like, okay, mom. Anyway, I think that was just such a beautiful conversation we had just now. I feel like, I feel like I need a minute to take, to like <laughs> process everything. All right. So all that being said, Alessandra, I'm just curious to know, what does life look like for you nowadays? Now, I know you mentioned that you are a ukulele enthusiast, as well as a first generation college student. Tell us a little bit more about that, that we don't know yet in regards to, you know, what life looks like for you nowadays, especially since things are opening up again. Yeah. I think when I, like 10 months ago, I just stayed home all the time. <laughs> and now it's not that different. I'm like still home. Still home. <laughs> Still home. I well, actually, I've been going out more because I always told myself I was like very introverted, but I realized like staying at home, I was really deprived of like socialization. And it is necessary. Like we all need it, even being introverted. Like I still need to see people sometimes. Yep. So like I've seen a few, I've seen a few friends, you know. But for the most part, like I play my, my ukuleles right there. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, but yeah. yeah. I play it like almost every day, maybe like three hours a week. And then I love to sing too. I really like singing and I like making vlogs. So sometimes I'll just take up my phone and I'll like vlog and talk to myself. And then I downloaded Otter, the audio like. Yes, then, <laughs> that's my jam. Exactly. Because <laughs> I love to talk to myself so much. And like whenever I have like a thought that pops up, if I'm watching a show or like listening to a podcast, I want to like record it. Um, and so like. Yeah. And I also like, I like to cook a lot. Well, not a lot, but I love cooking too. And like taking pictures on my kid's camera. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then whenever I can go out, I really put effort into my outfit because I love fashion as well. And that's basically it. I mean, like I was in school for a bit, but now I'm on summer break and I'm just chilling and like accepting that I can finally rest. So yeah. 
How did that whole, actually, before I get into your college experience, especially during the pandemic, I love that you use Otter. I feel like I use it like every day. And like Nani knows this because I'm always like every time she works on the show notes for our episodes, I send her an Otter link because what we do is we have Dennis do the initial edits of the show. And then I put that on Otter so that Nani can listen and read along and then put together the show notes. But same like you, when I have moments where I just, I don't want to type or write. I just, I want to talk out loud. I definitely use Otter and it's so convenient, right? Cause it's like, you could just, even if you have like a digital blog, you can copy and paste like, <laughs> you know, the transcript like onto there. So I'm just, I'm glad to hear that you use it. One of our avid listeners of our show, I message her Otter messages all the time like that. I mean, not all the time. I owe her a couple of messages actually. And she knows this, if she's listening to this, the time this comes out, but I just, I love that. I love that you're able to have benefited from it because it's, it's a really good tool and I'll link it in the show notes in case anyone's interested, but I love it. And, you know, I just think that's great. But another reason, like now this is like an Otter show all of a sudden, another thing for like, what I come to find is it helps me with public speaking. Like sometimes if I have bullet points, what I'll do is I'll just record myself and practice it. And then I can re-listen and be like, oh, I can add a word here. I can add a word there, you know? And so anyway, if you need more Otter tips, you let me know because I am crazy obsessed (laughs) with that app. But other than that, Alessandra, I'm really curious to know, like how did the pandemic, how did COVID impact your college career? It's because to me, the, the moment that COVID hit, one of the first groups of people I thought of were college students and, and high school students and how so many people, you know, especially let's say in high school, for example, missed out on some important events such as prom and graduation, doing the walk kind of thing. And so I'm curious if you felt like the pandemic impacted you too much or at all in regards to your education. Where do I start? That's like- <laughs> That's a whole other hour. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be concise, well, I guess like I felt like in high school, I really had my most miserable time in high school. I didn't really enjoy it at all. I was actually like a lot of my mental health issues like began there. Yeah. And so when I graduated, I didn't have to walk. That was like a fear of mine. Like I don't, I don't like being around a lot of people because I have this like, shyness I have to work on it I just get I feel you trust me trust me you're on the introvert show so (laughs) everything that you're saying you don't have to explain yourself yeah so part of the secret of podcasting is that it's a great environment for introverts because it's a it's a predetermined setting (laughs) you know it's a time frame so like when you're done it's like okay cool I can recharge on my own you know and it gives you that time to be reflective to you know when you listen to the episode afterwards so just so you know we totally get it everything you're saying we get it we're here with you (laughs) thank you this is a safe space (laughs) so yeah I didn't really like I didn't feel like I missed out any on anything And I actually thought for the first few months of like quarantine that like I was thriving, but then like being so isolated actually like made my mental health a little bit worse, Hmm. which I think I can like probably go into it when I talk about like my life lesson. Yeah. But in terms of like education though, I feel like I missed out on like meeting so many people. Like I only got to meet like a handful of people because of like the restrictions and I actually dormed for like my first semester and it was there were so many rules and it was just like hard. Yeah. It was just hard to meet people. That's what it really, what it came down to because I had expectations. Like when I get into college, this is when everybody in high school is going to see who I've like become and like blossomed into. Mm -hmm. And that couldn't happen. (laughs) So (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> like still the same. <laughs> yeah. And then like all my classes were on like, like this, they were just on zoom. And I think for my ethnic studies class, I didn't even have like, it wasn't just purely an online class. Mm-hmm. So I basically, they, I had all the reading material and like the video lessons, but I really wished my instructor had been like talking to me, like, like in like my other classes, but I still got a lot of like education from the class. I think mainly it was just like human connection and like being able to like see everyone's faces and like read their emotions and like finding like a tribe or whatever. Mm-hmm. But in general, I don't think my education like suffered. I feel like I've always been like a pretty good like student. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was I felt like okay. I just like missed school. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, as a fellow crazy introvert herself, me, I totally get that. Like at the start of the pandemic. So I've been working from home for like the last decade. And I mean, for the majority of the time, I definitely I tried the workplace thing. I just couldn't do it. But anyway, I was excited. I was like, oh my gosh, everyone gets to work from home now. Like I don't have to like come up with an excuse to like not get coffee with people. Like I could just do it over Zoom. Like this is great. You know, I was like pretty excited about it. But you're right. You know, we are wired for connection. The further away we get away from this pandemic, the more I realize how podcasting has played into my mental health in the best way possible. Like if I didn't have these kind of interactions and these deep conversations, oh my gosh, I don't know who I'd be right now. Like, I don't know, but I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not going to contemplate too far, <laughs> too much into it. So I hear you. And, and even as an introvert, you're right. It's like, we need people. So we have a reason to recharge by ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, like you can't, like an introvert is not a hermit. It's just, it's just, we need that recharge so that we can give it our all to people when we are around people. I don't know, Nani, any thoughts? Yeah, no, I was just thinking as you were talking about, you know, wanting to, or your habit of using Otter so much, and then us doing the podcasting and going through the whole pandemic kind of on on Zoom and just having your like friendships, relationships, classes, everything happen that way. I think that it really has given us time to like work on our internal conversations with ourselves. And I think that that's also why you know, whether it be because of the pandemic or just because you like to voice record your own personal notes and thoughts. I think that that speaks to how reflective you are just as a human being and how articulate, again, you're able to be about all these really like convoluted ideologies that come with our culture and unpacking our generational trauma and things like that. And so I think that Uh, in that sense, the pandemic has been a blessing because it's forced us all to kind of be in that introspective space where we get to practice that conversation with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you know, we've come out of it. Hopefully, most of us, I guess, on this show, at least have come out of it with a lot more language that we're able to use now that we're re-entering back into the world with others and going to have to, you know, face those harder conversations or those less comfortable, like non-virtual realities. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I feel like most of my decolonization happened in like the beginning of the pandemic. So I was following like, oh, pre-colonial Philippines on Instagram. Oh, and then like this Filipino American life. I like their podcast too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had Elaine on our show very early on, actually one of the initial guests. So yeah, no, good, good people. Oh, oh awesome. I need to listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wait, I want to say one more thing. Like my most, well, actually, it wasn't that exciting. But one thing I did, like speaking of working during the pandemic was I got a job during the pandemic. And like, I like I worked from home, but it was like, it was an MLM. 
And <laughs> yeah. Direct sales. That's a nicer way to describe it as direct sales, but yes, go on. Direct sales. And it was, and I, when I remember looking up like the company, there were like all these searches that like were warning me. It was basically like a time flashing, like, don't do this. Like I want money. And so I took the job and like, you know, I did my, you know, sales thing with like family and I got like $500 like in two weeks. And so I was like score. And then I resigned. And like, like that's it. Yeah. And then, and you know what, that's like, I think for a lot of people who are new in that space, cause I definitely have been involved myself, you know, it's like, sometimes, unfortunately it is good to quit, uh, quit while you're ahead because it's like that initial, and, and, you know, this is not to bash on the industry as a whole, because there are good services and products out there. I want to mention that it's just that most people aren't good salespeople. So it's really the salespeople that tend to ruin the industry. So I just, I just want to defend, <laughs> you know, some people that are in this space. Cause I know good people that are in this space, but anyway, you know, it's like, sometimes you want to, you know, get out while you're ahead because before you know it, they ask you to invest more or show up more or do more things. And before you know it, that $500 gets, you know, they tell you like, Oh, reinvest that in, back into the business, you know, and, and all these things. But anyway, I'm glad that you gave it a shot <laughs> and I'm glad that you came out positive, you know, out of it or net, net positive. <laughs> well, cool. So Alessandra, as we wrap up here, of course, I know that you have a life lesson that you want to share. So I'll share a little description of it and feel free to elaborate on it. So here you're saying that strength is not always pushing hardship aside. True strength is the courage to admit when you can't push anymore. I love that. Can you go ahead and elaborate and maybe share a little aspect of your life that helped you learn this life lesson? I think that like, I've been taught that I kind of have to accept suffering, Mm. but what I learned is I do not have to accept suffering. Like the hand that I get in life isn't set in stone. Like I can change the hand or whatever. And I just like real, I've, when I was a child, I experienced like some really traumatic events, like, like one after the other. Mm. And I didn't realize like how much I had been like affected, like, like emotionally and mentally. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even have like the language to describe what was happening like That's in my head. But all I knew was that don't talk about it, just be strong. Because that's what everybody else has done before me. I'm so privileged. I didn't have to grow up in the Philippines like and not eat like like one meal a day. I'm always reminded yeah. that. And it was like constant invalidation and like pushing this like narrative that strength is all you need and that you shouldn't ask for help. Mm. Um, And then it was just like, I put my foot down because I was like kind of tired of people coming up to me and like saying like, oh, you're so strong. Like, look at all you've been through, like all the horrible things. And like, look at you now, you can, you can handle anything. And like, sometimes, like, I would just put like a smile on my face, you know, like smile and wave. But inside (laughs) I was thinking like, no, like I'm angry. Like it makes me angry when people like say that. Because I think what happened to me when I was like a child, like shouldn't have had to happen to like anybody. And obviously like, and like what happens, I think in Filipino culture is like, there's a lot of comparison of like struggle. And like, if your struggle isn't as like bad as another person's, you just shouldn't say anything at all. And I think that's wrong because of how much, like now I really struggle with like intrusive thoughts and like suicidal ideation 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes what I would hear from like family members, if I opened up about it was like, well, one time I didn't have to eat for like two weeks or I barely saw my parents and I never was ever suicidal. And like people would say things like that. And it's just so invalidating. Mm-hmm. And even like talking about like therapy with my mom took four years. Like I couldn't even bring it up until I felt like I was at my like wits end and like the rope was like breaking and like my willingness to live was just like crumbling. And I told my mom, like, I have to see a therapist. Mm. Um, and I remember like having these conversations, what I would hear a lot is like, okay, sure. Like if this is what you need, but remember, just be strong. And I was Ugh. like, stop it. <laughs> oh my God. Like, it's like yeah, stop say, saying like, that. <laughs> it's like when people say, just pray, just pray, you know, and it, which is like, of course that's important, but it, to me, it shouldn't be the only thing that you do, you know, like God created therapists for a reason. Okay. Like they got to serve people too. Like they have a mission too. So anyway, go on. I, I, de- I definitely resonate with your story. Mm-hmm. And then like when I finally did it, I remember like, I think my mom was like still kind of, um, she really probably, she honestly didn't really want me to like see a therapist Yeah, because I remember it took me like a few months. I was like, mama, like, why aren't you helping me? And she was like, because you have to do this on your own, even though she helps me with like everything else. Yeah. But it's like this one thing she didn't really want to help me like do. And so I remember like so vividly the day I got my insurance card and I was like calling my providers and like they were giving me like all these other providers. And then I had my first therapy session and it was the first time I had ever been validated and there was no like comment and there was nobody saying like, oh, you didn't have to go through this or like back in the Philippines. Like I didn't have to hear like any of that. And I just, I just like felt so much like better and I wasn't hearing like you're weak or like, or like not somebody like didn't have to say that, but it was like heavily implied. Yeah. And yeah, I just think that like, you don't have to accept suffering. Like you don't need to stand alone all the time. And like, you have your kapwa, you have your like, your vegans and like your atas and kuyas like around you and you get strength from them. Why can't you like, why is it bad to like find strength from like mental health professional or like, like anything else? And so, yeah, it was just like a really like pivotal moment for me to like finally be vulnerable. And yeah, I keep saying validated, but that was really like the thing is like, cause I'm constantly invalidated even now a little bit. So then, yeah, I've just had to like accept it though. And like, I have, I save these conversations with like people who will like listen to me and like hear me out. Mm -hmm. And then like, obviously my therapist. And I told my mom, I was like, you know what? Like if I hadn't gone to like therapy, I feel like my willingness to live would have been at an all-time low like and I and like all those conversations make my mom like really uncomfortable because she told me she's like what have I done wrong to make you think oh, that right to, to make you think that you what better is just good to be gone and it's like, that's why I want to talk to a therapist like I want to be here like and yeah it was just really tough but I'm so glad I did it like I feel like I've come out like so much stronger And I wonder, I don't even think I would have been able to like submit my application to you guys and been like, been able to talk like how I am right now. I don't think that would have happened if I hadn't put my foot down and said, I'm not strong enough right now. Like I need help. And I'm proud of myself for doing that. So, yeah. As you should be, I think that your ability to self-advocate in those like tough moments, especially being surrounded by people who feel shameful about the way that you feel, you know, and just your 
desire to want to talk about it in general, instead of just uphold this archetype of be strong, be strong, you know, because I think that that is also a lot of what we talked about in our academic research paper as well, in terms of the Maria Clara archetype and how you're just supposed to show up and pretend like you have it all together. And if you don't, you're being shameful. A lot of other guests have also shared on the show, like their family's hesitancy or resistance or even like disapproval in seeking mental health services. And the fact that you are so adamant and so forward and just so, again, adamant about seeking it, I think is admirable. And you should continue to, you know, go with that, with that gut instinct that you had. And thank you also for being so vulnerable about what you have gone through and how you've worked through that with people in your family who, as you put it, would invalidate you because I know that that's just really not helpful. It's not like you're telling them these things because you need an answer. You need them to fix it. It's like, sometimes I just need someone to listen, you know, and that's the beautiful thing about therapy and the beautiful thing about being able to find therapy, even outside of like a professional therapist with friends, community, people like us, you know, other people that you can trust is just being heard and being validated. And yeah, I'm, I'm just sorry that you had to go through that. Thank you. Uh, it's like, it's always hard to like, sometimes I don't even know how to answer when I get a response like yours, because I'm so used to like having um, to defend yourself. Yeah. I just, I feel like so heard like here today. And I feel like really connected to you guys. Like in the beginning, I was like shaking like practically. (laughs) And I feel like, I just feel so much better. Like my shoulders are not heavy anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I feel very moved by everything that you shared. And, you know, I myself have been in intensive therapy for well over a year, one in couples counseling and one for a therapist for myself. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done, you know, because we're we're not, again, that goes back to our conversation earlier. Like we're not just trying to heal our own traumas, but the generational trauma that has been instilled in us. And I like to say that it is our privilege to carry that burden because we are in a space, you know, where we can do that healing. And just like what Nani had said, the, like like your willingness to self-advocate, because here's the thing. If, if you didn't have to do that, you wouldn't do it. If you didn't need it, you wouldn't do it, but you need it. You needed it to be done. You needed that validation. And we can try to be strong all day. And maybe that worked for our mothers and and our family and, and those before us. But we're in America, you know, like it can only go so far here. And if anything, like being in this space and time is a in a sense a breath of fresh air to be like, I can deal with this. I can, I can take everything that my family has inherited in me and turn it around. I can expand the family. I can honor the family, respect the family by doing this work for them. And even if they don't understand, it's okay. They wouldn't understand if I swept things under the rug anyway, they wouldn't understand either way. So I got to do this for myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just want to say, I'm proud of you considering how just, I didn't think about therapy till in the recent years. And the fact that you're doing it, you've been doing it, you know, at your age is quite amazing. And, you know, Nani and I can't applaud you enough for how articulate you are, even in this time where you're, you know, still working on, you know, exercising your voice and showing up and taking up space and everything. But I mean, you've been doing a great job so far. And I'm just, I'm so thrilled that your generation 
because we're older, apparently. Not like much older, by the way. So oh, yeah, I said that like we're in the same generation. I was just <laughs> assuming. <laughs> just, yeah. But you know, I, it, it's just nice to see that the generation that is going through college right now. So we'll just put it that way, you know, like, you know, there are people like you who value this kind of work because it is so needed and it's so reassuring. And I'm just, I'm excited for our generation as a whole. And, you know, really just, I don't know if our family will ever thank us for this work, but I think at least the next generation will. I'd like to believe they will. (laughs) I hope it gets to a place where they're like, like there's another way to describe mental health. Like there's a more evolved version of it where it's like, Mm -hmm. ours is so outdated. They're like, oh my gosh, their kind of therapy was so lame. Our kind of therapy is like water therapy, yoga therapy, you know, like, like I hope it gets to a place where it's so advanced where it's like for us, like, man, I wish I had that kind of therapy when I was, when I was your age. And that'll make me so happy, you know, when we get to that place, but it starts with this, it starts with you wanting to get that for yourself, you know, and normalizing this so that for tomorrow, like one thing with some of my close friends last year, it was so cool. We would have like you know, like we would have catch up calls, like a lot of people would during the pandemic, you know, FaceTime calls. And like, all of us were like, yeah, so my therapist, well, my therapist, you know, like we all had a therapist. So it was like, it was just so, so normalized. Yeah. yeah. So beautiful. So normalized. And the truth is that it really is not normalized. So to have those type of associations is so precious. And, you know, I'm just so glad for you that you have done that for yourself. I think you're going to inspire a lot of people with your story, Alessandra. So I just, I want to thank you again so much for being on here and just being as open and candid, you know, as, as you have been. I think that that was a great life lesson to share and a great piece of advice again, to impart on our community. And I don't think, but I know it will inspire a lot of others, you know, whether they come out and and let us know publicly or privately, or just exercise it in their own lives. You know, I hope that people are inspired by the advocacy and the action that you took for yourself to do the same for themselves. Because again, you don't have to wait until you have those kind of suicidal ideations or something similar to seek the help. You know, it doesn't have to get that far. And again, I'm just, I'm sorry that in your case, and at least now, you know, how to kind of regulate your own emotions and how to identify when you need to seek out that help. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Ate Jen and Ate Nani. I feel, I feel like, yeah, like another hug. It was just an embrace. <laughs> because like I said, I'm like so not used to like this type of reception. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people, And I think I'm probably like the first person in my family actually to ever seek a mental health service. Wow. And it's kind of groundbreaking. Like I'm a pioneer in like yeah. that sense. And I've been telling my mom, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to go on this podcast. I was like so excited. And like, hopefully mama, when you listen to this, like, I love you. Like, I love you, Lola. <laughs> I love you, uncle. Like, <laughs> I'm just being honest here. And like, yeah. Yeah. And it's your story. So, you know, whether or not they're going to interpret it as I'm sure they will, you know, because they're your closest family members. So of course they will internalize it in their own way, but just remember that it's your story to tell, it's your truth. And yeah, there's nothing that can take that away from you. Mm-hmm. I know that sometimes part of the reason why people are afraid to be on the show is they don't, want, again, want to rock the boat with their family. And I understand that if, you know, family listens and let's say they take it personally, you know, and I hope that, you know, to people that are listening, you know, hearing someone tell their truth on the show, I hope that you know that 
it took a lot of courage for them, you know, such as Alessandra to even want to tell her story. And it's not her intent to hurt you. It's her intent to honor herself, you know? And so I hope that if anyone does listen and not just for Alessandra, but for any family member or people that we know and love where we hear someone on a podcast, tell their truth, it's not about you. And I, it sounds really messed up to say, but it's not, you know, like this is about them owning who they are, trying to be an adult in, in this American society. And I hope that you can understand that. And, you know, if you have something to say and you're a Filipino American woman, apply to be on our show. We would love to hear your perspective. I think, I think that's just what I want to wrap up on and also just kind of extend that love to people who may feel offended. We don't really talk about that a lot nowadays, Nani, when, you know, we don't really hear a lot about when our guests, like, I mean, we do hear back from guests, obviously, but not necessarily like any negative feedback from what I noticed. Like I haven't yet had anyone, I mean, other than your dad, like asking about what my mic is, like what mic am I using? (laughs) But, you know, like, I I just think it's, I just want to thank all of our listeners and loved ones, you know, loved ones of the guests of our show to have supported because it really takes a lot to show up in this space, knowing that, you know, we have been silenced for centuries knowing that in the media industry, there is a very tiny percentage of Asian representation, mm-hmm. you know, like it's a radical act that we're showing up on the show. So I just want to thank you for listening. And I hope that, you know, that this is hard for us, but we do it because we know we have to, and it's our responsibility and it's an honor to you. You know, it's us saying, thank you for, you know, raising me up in a way where I can, you know, continue on the family legacy by honoring your story. So Anyway, wow, I just totally went off on that. I got into that one. Before, before we wrap up here, any any other thoughts from anyone? Nani, um, Alessandra? No, I'm fine. I feel like I said my piece and I feel good. Yeah. Cool. Well, yes, I- and we hope you know that this is a safe space. This is your space. This is, you know, anytime you have something like this on your mind and you want to unpack it or, you know, a difficult conversation that comes up in the family, like you can always return here. This is your soft, comfy landing where you can, you know, openly express yourself. Yeah. And until then, if you want to continue to engage with us, and this is an extension to our listeners as well, you know that you can text us at 415-484-8329 or leave a voice message. No one leaves a voice message. Please leave a voice message for Jen. Do it for me. I would love it. It means so much to me. I won't air it. Okay. How about that? I won't air it. Just leave a voice message and say hi. Anyway, I'm being really needy right now. I'm going to, I'm going to pull back a little bit, but, uh, um, and then if you feel uncomfortable texting us and using your phone number, which we totally understand, just know that you can email us Jen at tifaproject.com. That's J E N at T F A W project.com or Nani N A N I at tifaproject.com. We'd love to hear from you. Add to the conversation. We love you all. All right. With that said, thank you all so much. We love you all. And we look forward to speaking with you in the next conversation. Tune in next time. Bye. Thank you.